Broadcasting live from inside the power band, this is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, Mulvey, along with my super friends, Jar Higo. Yo. And Chad. <laughs> Yo. folks welcome to the podcast this week we are finally completing our odyssey of the expanse i feel like we've been living and breathing this show for ever and ever and ever months i certainly do i certainly have let the spice flow Yes, let the spice flow. So last week, due to scheduling constraints, conflicts, and so forth, we had an interesting offering in Season 3. We were supposed to do Season (laughs) 3 and 4 together, but we ended up only doing Season 3. This week, we're going to tackle Season 4. Let's get into it. Space Westerns, Mandalorian Season 2, a.k.a. The Expanse. All right, I'm going to just jump right off of that, because we're going to just kind of go out of order. This season, one of the most redeeming things of it, in my opinion, because I wasn't 100% nuts about it, was there was a very Western element to the time spent on New Terra. It has another name as well. I can't remember what it is. Illis. Illis? So the time spent on Illis, Holden, Murtry, it's, um, there's a lot of Western element there. There's a straight-up showdown in the desert between two guys, a lot of the stuff that happens in the camp. It's very cool, and I really liked that a lot, you know? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, not not anything new, you know? Nothing earth-shattering there, making, you know, space western, whatever. Like uh, one of you just said, we covered the Mandalorian. That's a space western. <laughs> but um, I did like that element, that, that how they wove that in there. Can't get enough of those space westerns, cowboy. That's right. It kind of it kind of makes sense to go space western considering the frontier that was opened at the end of the last season with all the all the gates. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you could argue it was a bit too obvious, but it's still, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense to go there. Yeah, it does. I mean, I didn't see it coming for whatever that's worth, but you know, when it started happening, I was kind of like, "Oh, this is cool." And you mentioned last week that, you know, season three was kind of a departure for you from the kind of threads of season one and two. And I felt like even more so season four was was quite a departure from kind of the first major arc of the story. So I kind of, I don't know, in a way, it's almost like season four isn't filler, but like, it's like a, a mini-sode between major arcs or whatever, you know? That's how I felt, though, Chad. I, I was just thinking about that, actually, downstairs before we started was, you know, this is, this is just kind of pushing the overall story along this season. You know, it wasn't, it didn't wow me like the first two and a half seasons. And and even the beginning of season three, I was like, man, you know, like I, I said, it was jarring, but it was still very cool. It was like, you know, it was jarring just because it was such a left turn and because there was so much information, new information. Um, but it was still, uh, it was still very cool the end of season three. You know, this is, again, kind of filler. Benny, what do you think about that? I don't know. Uh, uh, that's a lot to respond to. You were kind of uh, linking season three to season four there a bunch. Yes. Yes. Um, you can always choose to not respond. Do you see it as like a, a common thread through 
a, like a common through line for the four or they kind of jump around a bit or a common through line what do you mean well i suppose like you get season one which is essentially intro season two which is the result of season one and then season three is where it all goes to shit and then season four is like new frontiers you know so kind of the new frontiersiness of it makes sense like it makes sense if you know 1300 rings open up they next logical thing is go explore one of them but it's quite different than the like multi-headed hydra of the previous three kind of seasons all coming together in a way absolutely it's like a fresh start almost it's a new beginning yeah 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 that's a great way to put it um Mm. you're starting starting from base again and um yeah I think, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of criticisms of season four because, you know, a lot of it's just taking place on Illus and it's not as large of a scope and it's kind of more, I don't know, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a little more broken down and simple rather than uh, basic, high level and epic. Yeah, it's a little more basic. But personally, um, I really enjoyed all of the little story arcs in this one. Like, despite the fact that they weren't traveling a lot of different places and there wasn't, you know, there was a whole lot going on despite the fact that we weren't traveling all around the, the, the solar system. Yeah, I'm with you. It's uh, it's funny because uh, it's my least favorite book out of all the books, but it's definitely, I think, the strongest season of, of the show. Maybe just in the sense of the production value and stuff. But, like, I, I kind of liked the, I don't know, for lack of a better way, uh, for lack of a better term, the kind of intimate setting you know like it's it's Mm. one planet versus like you said the whole solar system it gives the existing characters that you know and love a chance to kind of explore new territory i suppose Mm. chad i think you're onto something there with uh you know i feel like also what what the show has going for it at this point is the fact that in season four you know the whole cast seems to be really getting their their gelling going on and you know like yeah, in general, like momentum has picked up, and the show is just you know everybody involved. I think uh, is well warmed up and primed and ready to go at this point. So I think we're getting a lot of that. Just besides what the story is, yeah, yeah. Not to mention they're probably pumped that they have jobs, considering that there was a question for a while there. So they'd be even throwing themselves more into it, maybe. No doubt. Yeah, it's interesting um, in a way because. Thinking about it now, the books are are quite different, and and um, it seems like the showrunners really wanted to capitalize on that gelling of the cast and gelling of the of the crew because um, Naomi and Alex stay in orbit for the whole the whole season. Uh, she never touches down and stuff, which is it's not like a super critical thing or anything, but like choosing to have the, all four of them get off the Rossi on land, like would indicate pretty strongly to me that that they they wanted exactly that feeling of of gelled intimacy and the crew kind of exploring new new territory so yeah i think it's certainly a likely scenario that that was a big focus for them Hmm. interesting so you're saying so you're saying alex and naomi did not leave the ship in the book uh i mean they might have come down and landed and like jumped off the ship for five minutes but like they went back up into orbit and the whole barbara pickle rick gonna fucking explode thing was uh was naomi and and alex handling it and and Mm. um she doesn't like go down and get sick and have all those drugs and stuff right it wasn't yeah it it wasn't the locus of like all these story points and creating all these like situations and conflict right but it's it's not it's not like a critical like i can't believe they changed it kind of thing it was it's just kind of i think indicates that they clearly wanted the four of them you know the gang to get the 
the, the the gang to take the mystery machine down and you know have a look at the spooky planet, you know. Zoik Scoob. Zoiks. Totally. It's like a freaky Mora proto molecule. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about Frank Welker in the Nausicaa episode. Yeah. Who is he, Fred? Now let's see who you really are. Yeah, he was Freddy. <laughs> they pull Murchie's mask off and it's, you know, Clarissa Mao or something. What? <laughs> no, it's Duncan Gola. Duncan Gola. I loved uh I loved Alex's like, yeah, I don't know, Murphy said something. He just kept like baking up names for Murtry. I, I, I cracked up every time he did that. Yeah, him and Amos kept getting his name wrong. Isn't that what I, oh sorry, Amos is what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that was good. He just kept fucking making up funny names for him. Sika, <laughs> you it's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna run into each other. There's like, oh, I'm free now. You wanna you wanna go now? Yeah, he's he said, uh, I think you and I are gonna get bloody. Fucking Amos, dude, I love that guy. Let's take a a, a slight diversion and talk about Burn Gorman for a second, because Chad and I talked about him for a minute the other night. Burn Gorman is the actor that plays Murtry, and you may recognize him as the Marshal from The Man in the High Castle. The Marshal. Which Marshal? Yeah. The Marshal in the Neutral Zone. Oh, interesting. In in the in the mountains in Colorado. So there's there's, I guess it's what is it Denver in the Man in the High Castle. I think it is. Yeah. Where yeah, where they end up a couple of times, and it's just sort of like the Wild West there. The Nazis don't have a foothold there. The Japanese don't have a foothold there. And there's a guy that kind of runs the town. He's really like a bounty hunter, but he calls himself the Marshal. And it's Burn Gorman, and he's even more wicked in that than he is in this. And he's so good. I mean, it's so memorable, man. He was burned into my memory when I saw that. And yeah, right. Of course, when I when I saw him at the beginning of season four here, I was like, "Where do I know that face from?" And it was the Marshal from Man in the High Castle. Yeah, I didn't re- I didn't make that connection. I I uh, I recognize him. He was in Batman. One of the Batman trilogies, wasn't he? Yeah, ba- Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I was, no, sorry, it wasn't you, Chad, it was Benny, when we were uh, mm. talking after the show last week, when I was up with him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, I don't remember that, but yeah, cool. Yeah, sorry about that. That's all right. But uh, yeah, Burn Gorman, wicked, wicked dude, and a terrific actor. Yeah, he brought a lot to the table, man. It, he's he's a, quite a flat character in the novels, so fucking kudos. In terms of what? It's just kind of like cardboard antagonist bullshit you know as opposed to fleshed out like he is in the show like he really brought a lot of three-dimensionality to the character by you know acting it exceptionally as opposed to just being like i'm an angry random dude that's gonna shoot people in the street and make holden mad over and over again you know gravitas yeah exactly gravitas i think uh i think what you're saying if can i try to just sum up what you just said chad are you saying yeah tell me what i said he brought <laughs> I'm gonna just try to tighten that up a little bit. Were you saying that he brought a lot of three dimensionality to an otherwise flat sort of cookie cutter character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what, what I'm saying. Okay. I agree, man. Definitely. I mean, that was like a pretty. I'm gonna pretty plain. I should cut everything I said and just have it cut straight to you, being like, "I'm just gonna summarize what you just said because it'd be really fucking funny." <laughs> <laughs> this episode is about us summarizing Chad's work. No, I think that uh, you're right. It, it's a very straightforward, flat, nothing special there. Like, we've seen this sort of villain before, and he really just brings a lot of nuance to it that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's there's still it's still somewhat of a simple character arc for him, but uh, yeah, just one one well placed smirk, and you're like, okay, I don't mind this so much. Yeah, exactly. But I did like how Amos had him pegged sort of from the beginning, and he's like, when you grease that guy, your dick got hard. You're a killer. You know, like I was like, that was the same scene where he's like, I think, I think you and I are going to get bloody, my friend. And he's like, how about right now? <laughs> I ain't got, I ain't got none to do. Oh, Amos. Yeah, there's a little bit of like, uh, there's a little bit of Dexter going on there, isn't there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, good call. Ooh, yes. Nice call. A- <laughs> Amos kind of uh, senses the other, the other sociopaths and has a desire to, because of his association with uh, the goodness of the crew of the Rosinante, wants to take them down for the betterment of everyone. Mm. But to his own, to satisfy his own sociopathic needs. I, 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 that was a good show. It was good. I watched the whole thing and I loved it. It went off the fucking rails for me, but it was a, it was a good show. It definitely went off the rails. Uh, yeah, the Lithgow season was the last good season that I enjoyed, and then I just kind of gave up on it. Same here. And even then, I was like the the anxiety of like him getting caught was starting to. I was like, <laughs> chew away at you. It wasn't working anymore, yeah. you know? I was like, ah, okay, how's he going to get through this one, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jarhigo, I think Jarhigo's skin was, like, self-peeling watching that anxiety-ridden shit. It was, like, <laughs> so anxiety-ridden, man. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the Keith Carradine stuff. I, I'm a big fan of his, so... And, and the Lithgow season was really good, too. But, you know, the end when he's, like, you know, sitting at the table in the cabin as Pierre Briere, I was just like, what the actual, <laughs> you know? So is Murtry uh, John Lithgow in this analogy, Benny? Yes, correct. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that works for me, man. Uh, yeah, the fact that they, they have each other pegged the whole time is good. And uh, what's uh, what's Amos's girlfriend's name? Oh, shit. Way? I think it's Way. Yeah, I think I think uh, having the two of them paired up and seeing through each other's bullshit, and then having Way get between them was uh, was the only thing that kind of made it really work. If it was just the two of them, and then Holden being a grumpy fuck about it too, and being like super Western with three dudes, it would have been just kind of meh. But the fact that you know Murtry's right hand uh, person Way is shacking up with Amos makes it uh, way more interesting. Way more. Is that a pun? Oh my god! I didn't even notice. Oh my god! I told that went right over my head. I thought this was what you were doing. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, it was not intended. It's a good one though. So we're stuck on a planet. They blow up a fucking ship, and then it's kind of like us versus them and the uh, Rosinante crew in between. What uh, What was the kind of general feeling about the way that was unfolding? It's like kind of like a microcosm of the of the overall story. It is, but with no Martians. Yeah, that's true. I guess you got Alex making lasagna and the but, ship up, uh, up top. But oh, Chad, don't start talking about lasagna. <laughs> you know, five people that were like, "Dude, enough with the lasagna last week." Just to just pause the podcast so they don't even hear us talking about them right now. That's right, Drew. Wake up and smell the rock and roll coffee. I've made us a frittata in my all-edges lasagna pan. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Chad, you never know what's going to happen if we get into a cul-de-sac lasagna. We might lose all our listeners. I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you, man. No matter Um, what, worst case scenario, we've got three listeners. I like it. He should come up with, like, 
We should come up with the uh, Alex Lasagna Pan Cookbook Ben that's got like the frittata, <laughs> the lasagna. <laughs> Brownies. Some. Dis- some <laughs> And be careful, because those are special brownies, if you know what I mean. Hey, they got X. I, f- I put gravity drugs in them. <laughs> no, you put, you put juice in them. Give me the juice. Give me the juice. They're all edges, and they'll put you right over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, dude. What the Jesus hell? Jesus Christ, dude. Man, you are, that, that mind of yours is like on fire this morning. I like it. Love it, man. Hey, have you tried my all-edges brownie recipe? (laughs) Straight from the Mariner Valley. (laughs) Hi, I'm pilot Alex Kamal from the Rosinante. Have you tried my (laughs) all-edges brownies? They're out of this world. But I'm not here to talk about the Rosinante today. I'm here to talk about my new cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Cooking with Kamal. Cooking with Kamal, yeah. That's cooking with a K, folks. That's cooking with a K. From my ranch in the Mariner Valley all the way to your kitchen table. I love that this just has to play out. There's no way around it. It really does. There is zero. There's zero other direction. (laughs) We can't stop ourselves. All right, anyways. And don't forget, folks, that it's great for brownies, too. All right. God, let's get the hell out of this. Is not a, we, ha, we need a new level for, like, the cul-de-sac. Like, I think there's, like, the cul-de-sac, and then there's, like, when we get stuck in somebody's driveway in the cul-de-sac, and then there's, like, when we're, like, out of the car in the woods behind the cul-de-sac or something, man. Like, it's... There's definitely, like, the, the oubliette level of... Oh, there you go. <laughs> we're down in the storm drain, like, it. <laughs> yeah good use of oubliette ben i love it uh where were we when we got on the lasagna pan tip i don't think we were anywhere chad was sort of setting up a high level description of the story at large was i and then we kind of didn't touch it <laughs> yeah deeper cul-de-sacs done i wasn't super pumped on the belters man like the belters on a planet kind of didn't fit for me no a bunch of weird like tetris tattooed neck people just kind of seemed really (laughs) weird yeah the tetris tattoos and i i just in general i'm really just not i'm I'm over the belters in general see i like the belters but i'm feeling the kind of like the factionalism of the last couple of seasons would have probably turned you off a fair bit i think you mentioned that last week i did and i don't want to like go nuts about that again but like i just i don't know yeah it's just it, it's always the same thing, man. I mean, I, I said this last week, so I don't really need to say it again. But it's just, just poor me this, and you know, what about me and us, and what about our stuff? It's like do something, dude. Just sitting on your ass all day making more Tetris tattoos. It's like you can be out trying to make some cake, dude. And that's, I guess, what these guys are doing, you know. So it's it's less my my problem is less with the Belters in general and more with like. It's easy to imagine belters on a planet and wanting to, you know, claim something for themselves and get out from under the boot and, you know, mine lithium and all the stuff that they're doing in, in this yeah. season. Like, I totally, I, I get that. I guess, like, my, it's not even a complaint, but, like, the thing that was just kind of weird to me is I feel like the, 
you know, Belter Patwa, Tetris Tattoo, Dirty, Burnt Face, Sea Shanty Captains, like you said, Ben, last week, fits on a station or in a ship, but it kind of looks weird on a planet. And so just kind of like, huh. Yeah, it should look weird, though, right? It's not like the culture is going to change, like, overnight. And Yeah, you know. that's fair. Jumping back to, like, the, the Belters sort of being the, uh, like, the eternal victim, you know, like, there's always, you know, there's always an issue of the Belters victimhood going on. And I think that's really, you know, maybe it's just poor framing by the writers, you know, like, that this kind of thing keeps happening. And, you know, I think it's interesting seeing them on a planet. And, yeah, it does seem a little ill-fitting <laughs> at the moment. But, as I said, you know, culture doesn't change overnight. Um, and you know, I mean, hell, what's wrong with a bunch of nested hexagons on your neck? I mean, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, the Belters are certainly seem to me to be a bit of an allegory for, you know, the underprivileged. It's pretty freaking obvious. Duh. And they're like, earthers are super privileged and waste their time. If anything, in this season, like, you're getting to see some Belters, you know, trying to get a foothold. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, they're trying to get a foothold, and they feel like, you know, they zoom through the ring and set up shop, and then all of a sudden, Mercury comes in and starts fucking shooting people. So, it's fair enough. I guess they didn't fight their corner as strongly as maybe I would have liked. Thank you. I think that, that may be, yeah, that may be what my problem is, yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you're you're led to believe that they need the assistance of the Rosinante yeah. crew, or they never yeah. would have pulled it off on their own, yeah. Sure. Yeah, that that might be. It's not a frust- it's it's not a frustration. It's just kind of an interesting, you know, point of friction where you know the savior has to fly in and save the day. You know, you guys you guys are gonna you guys are gonna hate me for this, but I have a comparison to draw. Do it, Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And someone just dropped the piano on me. Tatanka. Yeah, I'm not. That was really good. I laughed. What are you talking about? Oh, that was funny. <laughs> I think uh, didn't we have a rule where mentioning Avatar got you an instant death? Oh yeah, that's definitely a death. Yeah, I remember there was an episode a while ago where I brought up Avatar, and the two of you just got out like knives and started butchering me to death. Like it, it was funny too, man. <laughs> yeah, that was the one where I kept interrupting you by saying Tatanka. That was fucking hilarious. <laughs> yes, that is correct. That is a, the one. I had a great time. Making you really mad on that one. <laughs> I had a, I had a, I had a great time ruining that five minute period of your life. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it, it does have that like oh poor, poor, poor Belter. Let's go save the day thing. It does, but I'm I'm also sitting here thinking about it while and while we're talking in. Yeah, they they don't fight enough. They don't fight hard enough from their corner, and they, it's just like they don't use their brains, and it bugs me. But at the same time, it's like. You know, there's Mercury and Co. And they're like, you know, hey, now that we're down on the planet, remember how like when we were in the asteroid belt and you guys used to like, you know, mine a bunch of shit and then we just come and take it and pay you very little. Yeah, we're going to do that again. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know, like it's going to feel worse, though. You know what I mean? Like mm. and they're they're just like, you know, let's beat somebody up. It's like, come on, man. I don't know. The blowing up of the landing pad is an interesting reaction to them coming in. But it, that's kind of where the pushback kind of fizzles, you know? Then it's just like the mayor lady just kind of trying to keep everyone calm while Mercury just runs around consolidating power. In her self-crafted gypsy wear? Yeah, totally. 
Yeah. And then and then like everyone pretending that it didn't happen. You know, like if you're gonna blow somebody up, wouldn't you finish the job? <laughs> yeah. You know? Exactly. And and then on top of that, like, you know, the 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 gypsy leader woman, you know, you know, then when all is said and done and all, all of this shit starts to happen during the course of the season, she's just like, We're staying. You can't make us leave. We're staying. This is our thing, and damn it, we're gonna have it. It's like, are you really gonna be that dumb now and stay on the planet that is most surely going to kill you? Yeah. Like I was like, come on, man. I suppose that is a missing piece. Like, well, it's not a missing piece, but they don't push it hard, which is that all of the belters that are on the surface essentially are Ganymede refugees. So the refugees from the the failing of the Ganymede station where Prax and Bobby, you know, encounter the hybrids and the whole system falls apart. So like from that perspective, like you could kind of understand them being so shell shocked from having their previous home just blown up that they might not even believe that this one was going to, you know, but they don't really push it too hard. It certainly happens in real life. You know, people refuse to evacuate from areas that are, yeah, you know, uh, earthquakes or tsunamis or you know whatever what what have what what have you what existential crisis have you people don't leave people just stay no you're right you're right ben they don't they're like this is they they get like that's their home and they're gonna stay with their home and die with their home and i get that i mean we've got our own protomolecule thing going on right now with this coronavirus thing i think we're seeing plenty of people being like yeah whatever (laughs) yeah and now we're on to the coronavirus. <laughs> we don't need to go into the coronavirus. Yeah, let's not. I've had too many conversations about that in the last few days. Um, what I was going to respond to was, Chad, your comment about how they didn't push it hard enough that they were not only Ganymede refugees, but they had waited at the ring for weeks or months and could not get passage through the ring. Like, th- that was the whole – like, in the very beginning of the season, that was the whole – Part of the whole, you know, beginning of the story on, on what is it, Illis, Illos, whatever? Illis was the, you know. Licensed to Illis. Oh. oh my God. Nice one, dude. Was was that a is really the, subtle reference to the sabotage of the uh, landing pad? Oh my God. No. No, but. Wow. I wish no. I was that clever. <laughs> I wish I was too, man. I'm just going to pretend that it was. That was damn good. No, I think that like they didn't they didn't accentuate that point hard enough that they were, you know, refugees from Ganymede and they were waiting at the ring gate for weeks or months and to the to the point that they basically were like we're going to die if you don't let us go through the gate or dock somewhere. So we're going through the ring. Right. So shoot us shoot us if you want. And like the whole ship like they're all sitting there on the floor like I mean they looked like refugees and they all voted like go, go, go and they all start chanting it. You know what I mean? And they didn't I don't know what it was about that. They just I that got very quickly forgotten by me. Yeah, me too. When I when I watched it the first run through, you know, sort of a shame. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. But it's important because it really it sets the stage for a lot of the motivation behind what happens, you know, with the gypsies. <laughs> Sorry, on <laughs> Illis. <laughs> And that woman, I can't. I'm, I'm. I can hear her in my head, and I don't know if I can do a serviceable impression. Nah, she was. She was weird. She was totally weird. She's like, "This is our home, and we're not going to leave our home. And you can't make us leave our home." <laughs> so if I can, but have some of me lucky charms. Yeah. So the so, 
Ah, the soul of a leprechaun jumped into her then. <laughs> no, that's not what I was going for, man. But I thought it sounded more like a Nordic in some way. <laughs> if you want, bro. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever you want, man. Hey, talk about your deaths. <laughs> wow. Yeah, what, whatever will help us change the subject, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I'll do anything to not hear you do that again. <laughs> that was a full-blown, yeah, shotgun to the face death. No, that was, yeah, that was a self-destruct. So there you have it, folks. When bad impressions kill us on In This Episode, Everybody Dies. The more you know. So yeah, I think we've, I think we've played out the Belter thing here. Right. Oh, I forgot. I forgot, Ben. A uh, two-year time jump. Yes. Between uh, seasons three and four. That would make sense, being that it takes time to travel through the ring and set up a colony and takes time for news to get back and... And all that jazz. For Avasarala to send uh, the crew of the Rossi through the ring as well. That would make sense. Was the Avasarala election bullshit in season four? I can't remember. It's smearing together for me. Yeah. Okay. That was dumb. Versus who is her former uh, aid? Gao. Nancy Gao. Nancy Gao to my ready room. I um, I definitely got to throw out a, a tear or shed a bit of a tear for the uh, Avastrella's husband recasting. I really liked him in the first season. Yeah. I, I, I was confused by that. I uh, Upon the rewatching, I was like, wait a minute. Is this her husband or is it is this like some other relative? Like, Yeah. I think it was a I, th- I think it was a scheduling issue. I don't even think it was bad blood or anything, which is kind of a shame, you know. But right, right, yeah. Well, I mean, they're both. I, I like them both, but but um, yeah. I missed the memo on it, and thus I was slightly confused on this last watching. Like I had forgotten that the other. I forgot that there was a different actor playing him. In the is it just the first season? I think so. Yeah, I forgot about that. Well, I completely missed that. I didn't even realize that until you just brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. Her husband in seasons three and four is like quite a bit younger and more fiery and stuff. Like I believe her husband in the first season is quite, you know, he's like a poet or like an academic and like kind of a softy and she relies on him for, you know, strength and love and stuff. Whereas he's like a campaign helper in, in this one. So it's just kind of a bit of a weird one, but oh well. No, 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 that's not right. I mean, he he is an academic and we see that in season four when she walks into his classroom at one point. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, so he, he, it's, it's kind of all those things, Chad. He is the ap- academic. He is the sort of artiste and the dreamer and all that sort of thing, you know, and, and he is part of the campaign because they, they say it numerous times in the course of the season that, you know, he wanted to be part of it. And he does. He plays that yin to her yang or yang to her yin, whichever. Mm. It almost seems like he was there to try and keep her on the rails, because it, it seems to me at the end there that he's, you know, they kind of go their separate ways. And it seems like he's quite upset with, you know, what she's done to try and maintain her position. I don't, it doesn't seem like, I don't think they go their separate ways, but he's definitely disappointed in her for sure. Oh, he just nopes out, I guess, when she says she's going to go to to Luna or something. I don't think it was a separation per se, other than a like, yeah, I'll catch up with you later kind of thing. Right, yeah, I didn't mean to imply that they were they were giving up on the relationship, but rather they were, you know, yeah, yeah, taking taking a little taking a little break. Yeah, exactly. I did. Uh, there was a bit in the beginning of episode two, season four, 
where she gets a message from Holden and then she walks out of the office and she's on the that super cool shuttle that she has, UN1 or whatever it is, with the folding wings. And I just, I really liked that entire sequence of her talking on the ship and then they kind of, and she's talking to Arjun, her husband, on the ship. And then they pull out and they're above what I'm almost positive is, no, it is Mars. And they're commenting on various different things about Mars. And it was just a really great sequence, beautifully shot, great cinematography. And of course, you know, one thing that I wanted to reiterate from season one and two is just the attention to detail in this show. It's incredible. And and that scene um, very much encapsulates that. And what was great about that scene too was they're looking at the Aurora Borealis on Mars. And he says, I never thought I'd see the Aurora Borealis on Mars. And I think she says, that's what you get when you build a magnetosphere. Mm. And he says, there's generational building going on. You know, he's like, I'm so impressed with, you know, how generations of Martians are working to make this planet habitable. And he says, it reminds me of the old, you know, generational building on Earth of the Gothic cathedrals. You know, it's like people would start knowing that their grandchildren would be the ones to lay the final brick. And it was interesting that he brought that up because right in that episode and the through line for this entire season is that that exact concept of Mars is going away. And we see that through the eyes of Bobby and the black market and all the vets being unemployed and all of that stuff. So really, it was a really great scene. And I just thought it was a cool concept, cool talking point. You know, it's like, that whole idea of let's build it together that was so impressive that you got out of seasons one and two from the Martians is just, it's starting to erode, you know, or change or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Pivoting, pivoting on that idea. It doesn't make sense to take hundreds of years to terraform a planet when you can just get a new one through a ring. Yeah. I, I don't know, Ben. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think that like, yeah, sure. You could just go get a new planet, but at the same time, it's like, well, you could keep this planet and keep terraforming it because this is what we want to see. This is the goal. This is the dream. You know what I mean? Like, let's see it through. What I'm saying is I think that the prevailing idea on Mars at the time is why are we doing this when we can just go get a new planet? And that's why things are sort of fucked up on Mars and the economy is collapsing and people are stealing shit for the black market. And, you know, that that Martian strength of will to get something done as a team sort of seems to be eroded and people are, you know, struggling to find employment and, you know, like all this stuff is going on. So it is at play in the story. Right. I'm sure there are those who share the sentiment that you're talking about where they want to continue terraforming Mars, but the damage is being done is what I'm saying at this point. Mm. No, it's a, it's a great point. It has a very like Detroit former major industrial city that eventually, you know, gets off offshore jobs and then it falls apart and gets hollowed out kind of vibe to it, you know? Definitely. Well, I mean like as much as being romantic about intergenerational terraforming, you know, is nice to be romantic about jumping on a shuttle and going to a brand new place and it doesn't cost you anything. Like you could see why a majority of the people would nope out and do that for sure. And then the, the minority that's super passionate that's left behind would be pretty freaking pissed about it. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the, uh, in the show and the books, whatever. I'll be curious. To Chad, see. Chad knows right now. I was going to say, <laughs> I know I realized that as I was saying, it, I was like, I, I need to, 
put a button on this in a different way. He's not telling us. Oh, <laughs> uh, I would. I wouldn't even attempt to to hint at anything. I mean, it, it there is uh, there isn't much Mars stuff in the book, as far as I can remember. But I kind of understand, you know, wanting to have Bobby in this season as the kind of witness to those changes on Mars, you know, like it's, it's similar to the other, other seasons. It's like probably bringing some of the future stuff forward, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I did uh, find out that Bobby's arc in this is based on a, another novella. Yeah, I read it actually. Um, oh, it was interesting. It was actually quite interesting. Her, her novella isn't from her perspective at all. It's from her nephew's perspective. So it was, it was kind of, it was, um, Everything in this season from the start right up until she beats the cop and the girl up and are like, fuck off, he's no longer part of this. That's basically the novella. So everything after that with her, you know, smuggling stuff and whatever was made up. Well, that's that's pretty much all of it. Exactly, yeah. Like the novella, the novella covers the kind of like opening bit of that Mars thing. And then most of the Mars thing in the season is seems to be you know created for this for the purpose of exploring exactly what you guys are talking about which is like a disillusioned mars that's hollowing out while people want to bounce out of there and stuff and it's i think it's worth exploring that because it's it's an interesting space to explore and it's an interesting idea because like it's quite realistic you could totally see how a society hollowing out and end up with a lot of pissed off people and the black market stuff etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah which is all pivotal to the story really yeah but we'll get there in due time Indeed, yes, indeed. But I did, I did enjoy, uh, you know, the uh, everything that was taking place on Ellis, like the the stuff with the Belters, like that's really played out in the story at large. So I wasn't as interested in that. I was definitely interested in the rivalry between um, <clears throat> Murtry and and Holden and also Amos. Mm. I liked that whole part of it, and then you know, I I enjoyed sort of the return of Miller. Uh, in a little bit more significant of a way than he had been in the past season, I think. Agree. I was very psyched to to get more out of that and find out more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really dug all that stuff. Um, but I, I really liked the little Mars arc. I thought it was cool. Yeah, what'd you like about it? Because it was yeah unexpected, being you know a book nerd. It was just a, it was just a cool parallel arc, you know, um, and it, it all ties in. But we'll get to that. But um i don't know i just i just enjoyed seeing the disillusioned mars and you know how that was affecting bobby and you know everything that went on around that the sort of uh you know crime little crime syndicate she gets involved with and can we get to that because i don't remember how it ties in yeah go for it well it's clear that and you know i don't i don't know if this is something that happens in the books but (laughs) we're jumping right to the end of the uh the series here but uh what is it marco inaris oh yeah yes is Launching asteroids at Earth that are covered with Martian stealth tech. Right, right, right. That he got from the black market. So, oh, shit. That's so what that, it is. That whole Martian arc is setting that up. Yeah. And it's, they don't make it super clear, but. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I found that really odd that they chose to have that at the end of the season. I kind of, I mean, do you feel like that was necessary? Like, let's just say like that was the opening scene to the fifth season. Do you feel like it's necessary to have that kind of reveal at the end? It's obviously interesting, but yeah, I think, I think they did it for the sake of tying, making sure that the Bobby Martian arc was well tied into the rest of the story. Right. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
this is why we spent all that time telling you about that stuff. It wasn't just to give you exposition on what was going on in Bobby's life. It ties into the story at large, you know? Yeah. I think that's why yeah. they did it. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that being the last scene. M- mainly, I just like Bobby. So that's why I like the Martian. Yeah, no, nah, Bobby's great. <laughs> I still have a, I still have like a, I love Bobby so much as a character that the black market thing was another example of kind of like way different than my interpretation of the character. And obviously my interpretation of the characters from the books, blah, 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 same old shit. But I didn't really buy that she would ever do anything like that. You know, like two thirds of the Martian arc is her reluctantly, you know, joining the op because of blackmail and stuff like that. And then eventually it's like, you know, her becoming kind of sort of a full blown Merc and, yeah, it just kind of bugged me because she's so prim and proper in terms of like uber soldier as opposed to like fallen soldier, you know. But it's a kind of a minor gripe at the end of the day. I don't know, man. I agree with you. And I think that <clears throat> while I enjoyed the Martian arc and I, I do like Bobby as a character, I, I see the flip side of it, especially what you said about in the book when we did one and two, how she's a consummate professional soldier. Like it doesn't seem like she would do anything like that at all. She's just like a hardcore fucking Navy SEAL, doesn't fuck around kind of person, you know. But they've gone a little bit more three-dimensional, I guess, for this, which is fine. But Yeah, it's it, it works fine for the show. It's not like the writing's bad and the dialogue's bad. I mean, it's all good. I, I just – I see that other side of it. Ever since you mentioned that, I was like, hmm. Yeah, it's kind of pointless to keep hammering on it, but I just wanted to – Yeah, right, exactly. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the thing. It was it was off color. It was out of character for her to sort of join a mercenary unit, but it was on character for her once she decided to do it to sort of like go all in. You know? Yeah. It was like she was like <clears throat> concerned about the team, and you know, like you know, you see as they're trying to do stuff, she almost dies because she decides to like put on a fucking suit and go outside and like you know open a door from there or whatever, whatever the you know. However, it plays out in the episode, but like, you know, her all inness about it, I thought was quite characteristic of her. So the fact that she ended up in the situation in the first place was kind of bizarre, but but not completely unbelievable as as per how they framed it. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, choosing to be a little loose with her her morality for the sake of tying all of the threads together it's somewhat justifiable, like tying that entire Martian arc in with the main story, like you said, with the Inaros stealth tech asteroid things. I mean, they could have chosen a whole new character to do it, but like having Bobby do it isn't that much of a stretch and you kind of get a bit more Bobby time. Anything for Bobby time. There you go. Um, Speaking of new characters, what did you guys think of the LV, Dr. LV thread on Illus? Love her. Love her. She's great. I, I, I really liked her a lot. She was good. She was great. She's just part of that whole, you know, Illus Belters versus, uh, what is it, RCE? I think so, yeah. You know, the part of the story that I'm just like, eh. <laughs> right, okay. Fair enough. I, I like, I, I did dig that, like, I, I don't like, I don't know if I don't like or do like or both stories where there's like a, you know, somebody's talking to somebody that nobody else can see. So I really enjoyed that, like, she finally, like, was able to communicate with Miller and, you know, sort of became a pivotal part of that part of the story at the end you know what i mean so it was like a lot of validation there you know because it was kind of like yeah the crew of the rossi they believe holden they trust holden all that but like you know 
you know, a lot of time he's running around in this in this season going, no, no, guys, there's a ghost. And he told me. He told me all this stuff. No, you got to believe me. It's true. It's like, what are we, five? Like, I was like, eh. <laughs> No, really. I, I saw a Sasquatch in the woods. Oh, dude. You saying that just now it totally made me think of, like, that ending montage with Edward Norton punching himself in Fight Club. You know, like, it's straight up that kind of shit. Oh, God, yeah. There you go, dude. Totally. Just, like, wandering around talking to himself. Totally, bitch tits. I, I had it all wrong. I, I thought you were talking about the uh, the Belter doctor that... Oh, Lucia? ...was in cahoots with the, yeah, with the uh, platform <laughs> sabotage and, you know... Yes. She also had a very weird accent. <laughs> Should I favor everybody with another leprechaun impression? <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's hear some more of your lucky charms, bud. Ah, to get my lucky charms. <laughs> it's red balloons. Hey, the red balloons, green clovers, purple stars, orange horseshoes, whatever. To the purple horseshoes. They're magically delicious. <laughs> I, I feel like, which am is, I, Ben, am I, Which is consequently what Ashford was singing when uh, <laughs> they flushed him, <laughs> when At they the spaced end. him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was singing the Magically Delicious theme, so I love it. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? Frosted Lucky Charm. <laughs> magically Delicious. But he doesn't even get through delicious. Like, the third syllable is just, just like him wheezing in, in vacuum. And then he hits send on his little super cool wrist computer. Right. <laughs> That's a weird thing, too. But we'll get to that later. So let's let's stay on Marco Inaros for a second. So I, I didn't realize, because... In episode three or four, when Ashford is interrogating him on the ship, firstly, that guy is just – I know we talked about swearing less, but that guy is so fucking annoying. I'm not talking about Ashford. I'm talking about the guy that plays in Naros. I don't know if he's it's the way the actor is playing the character or what. He's but super like, smart. Really, no, it's, God, the, it's, it's the character. Annoying. It's the character. Yeah. Really just makes me want to hurt something. Um, an inanimate object, of course. Uh, he says at the end, like sort of at the end, he goes, what did you say about the Martians? What about the Martians? And he doesn't reveal it. So I didn't put it all together that he was covering the asteroids with the Martian stealth technology. I did not get that at all until you just brought it up. I, I, I didn't put it together. So even when they're like, like, I couldn't figure out why the the asteroids were like, what they were painting on it or whatever at the end. It just, I don't know, whatever. It didn't register for me. So at any rate... Thanks for clearing that up. I that being said, I don't like I don't know, like I would think why is he so like focused on like shooting an asteroid at Earth? It's like there's a ring and all these planets and like all these places he could go plunder and you know what I mean? Like it just seems kind of meh. I kind of get the like radical vibe, you know? There's yeah, people that yeah. fall under people that are part of a society or a religion, and then there's like the fuckwit radical sect, and he he's clearly in that sect. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, he's a, a fundamental a fundamentalist belter. There you go, fundamentalist OPE. Yeah, I'm getting kind of a uh, you know. Did you say OPE or OPA? OP. I said OPE, but I meant. <laughs> Okay, okay. You down with OPE? Yeah, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
where where was I? Oh, um, yeah, I think there's a. I'm just getting a vibe here. I don't know what you know. We really haven't spent much time with the character of Marco Anaros yet, but I'm getting sort of like a great white whale vibe from him. Like he's just so on the he's so on the journey of like war versus the inners that the momentum is just too like it's just keeping him going on that path. Now that he's got an opportunity, he's going to seize it or something. Right, while everybody's distracted. Instead of seizing an opportunity for himself, while everybody's distracted, he's going to make a move, you know. And um, yeah, that kind of doesn't make sense, but shit like that doesn't ever make sense, does it? That's true. No, that's why people like that are crazy. Yeah. I feel like um, the earlier factionalism in the show with the various, you know, groups in the OPA fighting against each other for control somewhat dilutes Inaros's radicalism. And so I, I kind of prefer the like simple Fred Johnson OPA and then all of a sudden Inaros shows up, like you said, white whaling, as opposed to it being a constant mm. factional struggle all the time. But it's kind of nitpicky. I definitely get, get the like radical fundamentalist vibe, like just like you're saying about, about Inaros. Right. And I, I don't know. I Yeah. I, I don't know. I just don't I, don't. I don't know how I feel about all that. I, I I didn't love it, but I'll tell you what I did like. I did like when Ashford and Co. board the ship at the end to try to capture him. Mm. That was a really really great sequence. And then of course we finally see you know him and Naomi's son. Yeah, and he's cleaned up and he's even more of a d bag. And um, I really was I was bummed that Ashford got greased. Because I, I really liked the the turn his character made. Like he, you know, he he was kind of a he was kind of a penis in the beginning when he came around, and you know, in season three, and then like he, oh. <laughs> I love how last episode you're like he was a fucking dildo, and now he's a penis. I love it. It's great. I said that you said I think you said Inaros was a dildo, and Ashford is now a penis. I just I, I'm I'm digging the vocabulary. Sorry, I totally hijacked it. Right on. Well, Anaros is still a dildo, and oh no, sorry, it was Aaron right, but Anaros is a dildo too. Hey, dildo. No, I think it was the SG that I said was a dildo because I think we all agree that Aaron Wright was like a great character, like love him or hate him, he was a villain, but well written, great character, great, well portrayed. Yeah, there you go. It was the SG that was a dildo, and you're a dildo for calling the SG SG the SG, and everyone needs to eat a bag of dicks. And I interrupted you and back to what you were saying. <laughs> And I'll do anything for you to just keep talking and stop on this cul-de-sac, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> All right, so I, I love that I was able to throw out a "Hey, dildo," and you you didn't even I you didn't pick, you and did I, not pick up on that. Oh my god! I just watched that the other day, Ben. After we were talking about it. All right. Uh, anyway, um, man, I was not psyched about the uh, about Ashford being spaced at all. Oh, no, I wasn't either. That's where I was, yeah. And I was just, I loved that whole, like, uh, if, let me just finish that that little thought, Ben. I, I really liked that sequence with the insertion, with them, you know, going in to kill him. And it was just a great, it was a well-done action sequence. And I loved how, you know, every, it's easy to forget that everybody's wearing mag boots. And I loved how they shot everybody when they boarded. And, like, you know, they're all just, like, standing there with their hands up in the air and there's blood just floating there and guns floating there. Like it was really, really cool visually to watch that. And, and to see Ashford in action too, uh, I really enjoyed that. Cause like, we really got to see that like, this is a guy that can like, definitely knows what he's doing. Definitely can get in there and kick some ass for sure. 
So that made it even more upsetting when he did get spaced. Ben, take it from there. You mentioned that, Benny, a second ago that you didn't like Ashford getting spaced. Is it for the obvious reasons or what What, what was the go there? Yeah, no, I mean, I just, I, I, you know, I just really started to warm up to the character. I was enjoying the hell out of him and, you know, they took him away from me. So mm. just, you know, I get it. His arc played out well, but still, I'm going to miss him. He was awesome. Yeah, he was. And I agree, Ben. I like he, he, and, and, you know, that's like the, you know, uh, compliment to the writing and David Strathairn as an actor, the way that, you know, he definitely, I thought he was a dildo when he started, you know, and to, to, to really turn around, he got totally on board with the whole peace treaty thing. And it was like, okay, you know, we got to act like we have our shit together. And I, I really dug that, man. I really liked where his character went a lot. And yeah, major bummer when he died. But, you know, it's, it's a good thing that when, you know, characters like him and Kotiar die, I mean, these are like, you're, you're getting emotionally attached. You, you're really enjoying watching these actors. You're really enjoying these characters. And it's like, it's great when they get killed, man, because it's really how it should be, man. And then the next emotion for you is that you should miss them. Yeah. If people don't die on shows like this, you end up with like a jumping freeze frame at the end of the se- of the show. And it's just, no one wants that. Well, you know what you end up with? You just end up with, like, characters that should have gone away that don't. And it's like, you know, now they're going to be here for another 14 seasons because the fans love them and they're selling ads. And it's like, now it's not a show. And then you know Disney I mean? buys like them. The, and then... <laughs> and exactly, man. So I, I think it's great that these, these characters are dying. And, you know, Kotiar was played by, you know, not a, a well-known actor, but David Strathairn is a very well-known actor. So... You know, very cool in both situations and, and upsetting. I loved uh, I loved his scene with Drummer, you know, with the bottle of booze, you know, kind of the send-off. That was, that was a great scene. Yeah, man. I mean, my favorite Belter faction or my favorite Belter people really were like he and Drummer, you know? No doubt. And I thought there was, there was an interesting, like, you know, non-romantic friendship relationship that was budding between those two. They're buds. And it's, it's sad to see it cut short, you know? Yeah. I mean, they went they went through a lot together. You know, he sort of took command of the ship at one point, and like, you know, there was there was a lot going on, man, between the two of them, and and so there was a nice uh, interplay of you know various different things to make that relationship develop, and it and it did beautifully. I think we're all agreeing on that. Yeah, and kudos to the writers because all of that was was a departure from from the books. Like Ashford is is kind of thrown away and doesn't really have much of a place in in the novels and hmm. and whatnot so like they did a good job mm. yeah like that even more yeah he was he was an interesting character because he was never i mean maybe he was a little douchey towards towards drummer and you know in his his entrance but you know even in season three when he wanted to blow up the ring or he wanted to shoot the, the use the calm laser to blow up the ring or whatever like he was convinced that was the right thing to do to mm. save everybody 100 percent. you know it wasn't like he was, you know, some fucking mustache twirling, you know, you know, <laughs> evil person, you know, like he was just, you just, you know, he had the wrong solution to the, to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But then when he realized it, like he, he totally was like, okay, I'm wrong. And he got on board with, you know, sure. Hold it and everything, you know, and I, I really like that. I like that. And, and that exact moment was the departure because he doesn't get on board and ends up just getting forcibly removed. And then that's the last you see it hear of them so hmm. yeah 
it's well handled. They did a great great job. Well acted, well handled, well written. So it was it was sad to see him go, but in a way, like it it brought a lot of gravity to to that kind of moment in the season. There's actual stakes as a result of the death, you know. Right, and it left us with a cool cliffhanger because he clearly like he was sending somebody something on his little wrist com there as he was singing the Lucky Charm song and dying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if I can do Ashford singing the Lucky Charm song whilst whilst dying. Frosted Lucky Charm, Dermatically That's pretty good. There you go, folks. Real performances from professional actors. <laughs> yeah, that that spacing scene was was just. I mean, the way they handled it was was amazing. You know, I thought it was really good. And you so hate uh, what's his name, Marcos the D bag in Aros. Yeah, yeah. You so hate in Naros that seeing him get a little victory over Ashford, you're so pissed. You're like, God damn it, man. Oh, it just makes me angrier. Fuels my anger. Oh. It, yeah, I mean the 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 stew of emotions that you're having through that whole scene is is just rich. <laughs> you're you're you you want to you want to kill Anaris, you know, but you're like you're focused on I mean me I was focused on Ashford. I was like oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. And you know, mm. it's like you don't quite realize even that he's left the ship because he's still singing, you know, like it's not like he gets whooshed out of the airlock, like you know, like like somebody getting sucked out of an airplane at at altitude or whatever. Like they they often portray depressurization that way. So it was interesting to see him. Just, no, they always portray it that way. Yes. Yeah, it was interesting to see him just like turn around and and face it. You know, like and sing his little uh, his little jig on his way out. I love how he had like that John Constantine flipping off the devil thing. You know, where he's just kind of like. Does the belter flip off to Anaros behind him as he floats out? It was so great. Yeah, that was very cool. I like that. Yeah. And then just like watching, you know, the the way they handled him going cold seemed pretty realistic. Yeah, the eyes kind of glass over. Yeah, it seemed quite realistic based on what I've, you know, read about what it would be like if you were thrown into vacuum with no suit. Yeah, well handled. Yeah, wow. Really, 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 really great ending to the season. With, with all of that right there. Which we kind of raced to. <laughs> that we raced to. I think it's better to handle the Inaros-Ashford kind of stuff now, just because, like, the, you know, Matrixy machine coming alive, fucking Illus blowing up thing is kind of its own thing. <laughs> Alex, you're staking up the kitchen with your stupid lasagna. I just want a coffee. <laughs> I had that more of like that like kind of cheesy PBS pledge drive kind of thing in my head. Where it was like, you know. For two dollars. Here are some great ways to listen to this great podcast. But I'm not going to talk about that. Here's Chad. <laughs> like, Thanks, Kevin. No. And here to talk about that is algorithm while you're off in space traveling to the nearest ring gate you could be donating to everybody dies podcast yeah exactly and for a pledge of just one dollar you'll get this wonderful nothing burger (laughs) 
Yeah, anyways, we wanted to, we just wanted to chime in and ask that you guys, if you guys like our show, please tell some friends about it. We're trying to, trying to grow the show and make it more awesome for you guys, so we would love it if you could, uh, to share us with a friend or jump onto iTunes and give us a rating or something, because it helps. Yeah. Yeah. And if you pledge $2 to our Patreon, you'll get a sweet all-edges lasagna pan. And we'll lose like thirty bucks on that. That <laughs> <laughs> we're losing fifteen dollars on. Yeah, exactly. You know, what we should come up with as a merch item is a patch. You know, let's kick it eighty style, dude. Right? Oh fuck yeah! Like a space patch or something. Yes, dude. That's such a great idea. And I know you're all about patches, bro. So about a patch, man. <laughs> I guess, like, the remaining spots are... Well, we diverged when I was talking about LV and, and Benny, you thought I was talking about Dr. Lucia. So the Dr. Lucia stuff didn't really ring your bell? You are just kind of like, whatever? No, no. I mean, uh, again, she seemed to be sort of placed to give us a perspective on things that were going on. Um, you know, like you said, she's the only person that actually gets to hear Miller talk. Uh LV, the biologist, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, 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 no. LV does, not Lucia. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Were we talking about Lucia? <laughs> yeah, I thought I was circling back to Lucia, but um, the reason that I was circling back to Lucia was because you mistook LV for Lucia. So let's just circle back to LV and then go into Lucia. Yeah, okay. So let's, cir- let's circle back to the biologist arc. No, it, it, it seemed for some of the story she was sort of meant to be our in our our perspective right yeah 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 not not for the whole thing necessarily but for some of it it seemed to be at least like you know she was like a liaison peering into the lives of the crew of the rosinante you know she she was like on to them you know like she had an idea about what was going on so she was like the only other person that knew besides us what was going on you know what i mean like none of the belters knew what was going on none of the rce people knew what was going on like but she seemed to have like you know, an intuition about what was something, something was fishy with, uh, something was fishy with Holden and she knew. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point actually, because Holden essentially kind of goes off the deep end from the perspective of everyone outside of Holden. Cause he's, you know, fight club punching himself in the face. So like, we know that Holden is telling the truth and we know that Holden is seeing uh, Miller, but right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think LV kind of is kind of a, a surrogate for, for us while Holden is talking into himself in another room. <laughs> I got a rip rip jar. He goes, uh, Holden impression from last week. It was good, man. Stop talking about your lasagna pan, Alex. No, he, no, he was like, oh, this ship has great coffee. And Dr. Elvie's like, you're not telling me everything. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much season four in a nutshell. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Ship has great coffee. <laughs> You're not telling me everything. Who is this Miller? <laughs> He's the guy that gives me my coffee. <laughs> the the dismissing of her was kind of weird. The whole like, well, who's Miller and in Alex and Holder is kind of like, don't worry about it. It's need to know or whatever. You know, it's just it's a weird handling of her. Yeah, they did. They didn't. They didn't commit to their position, Chad. Yeah, on that. You know what I mean? They were like, 
Oh, ma'am, you don't need to know. That's on a need-to-know basis. Hey, how about some lasagna? You know, and they didn't... They didn't hold fast to their position. Mm. It was a weird diversion. That was temporary. So <laughs> one of my favorite parts was seeing Miller as like some weird, I don't know. I mean, it, people call it a robot, but I don't think it was a robot. I think it was just like some like array or something that could move and he just inhabited it because it, he could try to make it, you know, it was semi-locomotive or something. <laughs> a robot? Dude, it was not a robot. It was, it was him essentially possessing something physical in order to do something physical to something physical. Right. <laughs> Correct. Correct. But I mean, it wasn't like, you know, a service robot or something that was like, you know, working about. He just like literally like something that was able to move in the station. He took control of like it wasn't right. Exactly. Yeah. It could it move, but it wasn't meant to necessarily move. No, it was a goddamn pile of junk. It was a pile of metal junk. Right. Yeah. I don't know what it was. But anyways, just it, it was it was funny hearing Miller's voice like and Miller's character <laughs> portrayed through this pile this moving pile of junk. <laughs> I know. He's like, ah, you're gonna have to help me out, get me closer. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a weird sequence that maybe just didn't translate very well to to visual media. No. It was vague, and but I kind of liked that about it. Mm. So, but in that, LV sees through that. You know, they're calling it the off switch, I guess, but it seemed like some kind of a portal to another world or something. And was clearly shaken by it. So it's going to be interesting. I, I wonder if we're going to find out more about that going forward. I, I felt like she had a, a similar to Holden kind of vision, like he had. You know, and he saw like, oh, it's all solar systems burning and like all of this sort of thing. Like that's sort of what I got from that was that she she was able to get a glimpse like he did. And I I did not understand if what they did worked. Like it was like she kind of threw Miller, the the junk junk body Miller at the thing and like he kind of bounced off. And then like I feel like nothing happened and I wasn't sure if anything did happen. And I, I don't know. Can either of you clear that up? Benny, take a swing. I don't, I don't want to risk spoiling things. And I could be wrong here, but I was under the impression that, you know, we'll just refer to it as the off switch because that's what they were calling it in the episode, right? Sure. That that wasn't proto-molecule technology. That was like the badass civilization that took out the proto-molecule on the planet, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever she saw, it wasn't the same vision that Miller had. Right. It would have been getting a glimpse of this other aliens, ancient alien civilization's tech. Yeah. Wait, there's two? I was under the understanding that the protomolecule was something that was built by a civilization to do- Correct. You know, whatever, various different things. Yeah. And the protomolecule was still out there after the civilization had died off. And it was reaching out, looking for its, you know, quote, former masters- not being able to find it. And then the Venus pimple thing sort of like took off. Like when, it, when, it, when somebody popped it rather, <laughs> it went into space and then all of a sudden it formed the ring. Yes. Am, am I right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. You were correct up to there. But the on Illus, there's a bunch of dead protomolecule technology. And the backstory there is supposedly that another alien civilization took it out. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so without, like, 
Number one, I kind of forget how the end of book four was handled, which is a good thing because it means it's way less likely that I'll spoil anything. And number two, I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, Thank you. Yeah, the the proto-molecule was destroyed by a superior civilization, and that superior civilization is represented by the what they call the off switch. I do remember from the books that the off switch situation and that sequence is way more thoroughly explained, not in any major ways, but like it's a lot clearer what's going on, mm. which makes sense because you got, you know, the ability to go inside people's thoughts and whatnot. But I think like the ultimate takeaway is just like if the protomolecule civilization is like infinitely more advanced than we are, the protomolecule civilization is like a fucking anthill to the off switch civilization. Wow. The protomolecule civilization would have been like mind blowing for us to encounter. And then it's like, wait, we just, now they're gone. <laughs> like what destroyed them? What's powerful enough to destroy this civilization that's way beyond us. And that's the like, holy shit, take a bite out of your seat kind of thing. Mm. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up. Number one, number two, if, Okay, so my then my next question is if the is the on off switch the the sort of little ball of fire in the heart of that structure or is it yes okay or is it the entirety of the structures on no okay the, so weird... the structures are from the proto molecule yes all the all the tech on the surface of that planet all those weird mm-hmm. shark fang looking towers or whatever those that's all proto molecule civilization technology. Which is why Miller was able to control and open doors and shut, you know, like all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the ability to, like Holden's vision of the ability to, like, blast an entire solar system by blowing up the sun. Like, it kind of, it's it's made clear that the protomolecule civilization is blowing up suns to try and quarantine this other civilization, if that makes sense, you know? So it's almost like the protomolecule civilization has their own protomolecule that they're fighting in a way. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Wow. Interesting. You sure that's not coming from the books? No, it's not. It's not that it's like... Because I didn't, I didn't glean any of that for whatever reason. Well, the, the torching of the systems with the blowing up of the suns, I thought was made reasonably clear in s- season two... With, with Holden's vision. Oh, okay, okay. Whichever season. I thought that they made it reasonably clear that, like, Holden's vision was, you know, the station has the ability to blow up our solar system. Ashford's like, we got to blow up the ring because we can't let them blow up our solar system. And then it becomes more clear that the station in the middle of the ring is actually protomolecule tech. So that kind of makes it clear that the blowing up of the suns is one of the station's security measures. Am, am I over-explaining it in the sense that, like, maybe there's more context from the book? No, that's good. That's good. I just, you know, I mean, we've been cramming all of this stuff, so that's just one of the little details that... Well, it might it might be that it's a nugget from the book that isn't isn't really made crystal clear in the show, but I don't. it doesn't spoil anything because it's just adding a tiny bit more, I suppose, backstory or a tiny bit more relevance to to the vision, for example, Holden's vision. And then, like... I don't even think that the off switch as its own kind of like protomolecule thing like that, that isn't in the books. That's just kind of like the way I've, you know, come to understand it. You know, like it's the, the nuts and bolts of it is 
the proto-molecule civilization gets its shit pushed in by another bigger civilization. And that's represented by this on-off switch thing, which they don't really talk much about what it means in, in this season. And they don't really explain it much. And I can't remember it. So it kind of, it's kind of good that I can't remember it. Cause otherwise I'd just be like, yeah, it means this. And it's just like kind of spoiling it. So. Right. Well, the, the proto molecule and the off switch are sort of like, uh, you know, the idea of like how one way we might spread out and become a galactic civilization would be through the use of von Neumann machines where, you know, we're talking like, you know, self-replicating tech that, you know, sort of has its own agenda and goes out there exploring and reporting back to us or whatever. Um, so the, yeah, the off switch and the proto molecule are both, both seemingly that kind of thing. Like we're not dealing with the actual entities. We're just dealing with their von Neumann machines. Yeah. Cause that's the vibe I got from the proto molecule was like its purpose is to go find habitable planets and then create a gateway that they can travel through to go and land on the planet and terraform and like, you know, colonize it or something, but there's no civilization left to colonize anything. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. I'm really curious to see where this all goes, especially with this knowledge now. Because I didn't realize that it was – I wasn't picking up that it was two civilizations. I was just thinking it was – there was an off switch embedded inside the protomolecule tech thorn chambers, whatever the hell they are. Right. Well, and, that, and that's kind of like to close it out. That's what's interesting about the climax with the Miller, you know, weird air conditioning fucking robot, <laughs> which is like – you know, the protomolecule is trying to take control of Miller because they don't, they're like, don't touch the fucking switch because that's the thing that, you know, killed us. Don't touch it. Don't wake it up. Kind of like we were like, don't touch the station. Don't touch the rings. Don't wake it up. Mm. Mm-hmm. When Miller, I'm uh, sorry, when Holden fires that rocket at the thing, you know, and he's all like, it's spinning around. He's like, I'm going to shoot a rocket at it. And she's like, we don't know anything about this. Like, this is amazing. Human beings have never encountered an alien life form. Not now. Boop. And then he fires. So, like, he's just such a lunkhead moment, dude. You know, he's like, oh, well, we're going to find out. This thing's not going to be moving when I'm done with it. You know, it's like, okay, whatever, dude. Hold my beer. I'm going to try something. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, dude. Hold my beer. I'm going to try something like, okay, now you're five again. Like, you know, I'm see, you think if I jump off that balcony, I'd hurt myself? It's like, yeah, dude, you would. So my question to you is, because they don't make this abundantly clear, when Holden breaks that one, is that what essentially causes the the backup of the system that makes the shockwave and the tidal wave and all of that? Like, is it is it that he destroyed it and now the whole mechanism is broken and then it starts to break down? I'm, I'm interested to hear Benny's take on it. I thought that was all uh, a result of Miller's probing, like the explosion, the lightning strikes, all of that stuff I thought was like more the result of like what Miller was doing behind the scenes to try and suss out a way for himself to die or, you know, whatever the whatever the fuck it was that he was hunting for. Right, but remember, there's two Millers. There's the Miller that's like the puppet of right. There's the investigator the molecule, and then right. there's the the self aware investigator, which is yeah, right. Or what I consider actual Miller. Well, it's not actual Miller. It's- so, so Ben, here's the thing: when I first watched it, I thought exactly what you thought, and then when I watched it again this week, I was like, wait a second, did Holden like trip? off this entire sequence of events because the lightning 
actually came first. Then the things started like spinning around and doing that like, you know, drill, whatever the hell it was doing. That's when he fired the the torpedo at it. Am I? No, you're remembering. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. I'm remembering it right. And then, and then all of a sudden the nerd on the Edward Israel was like, oh, there's like a lot of heat coming from this chain of islands where the lightning ended. Yeah. And it's like the lightning strikes were concurrent with the number and alignment of the little either real or fake planetoids. Yeah, the moon. Circling the planet, the moons. So the last lightning strike hits on the chain of islands, and that's where we see the heat bloom and then essentially uh, what I had in my mind is like a reactor overload. Yeah, that's exactly and what then it was. And right, then it sends out the, the shock wave and the tidal wave. Yeah. Is that, is that what's happening there? Is it, is it breaking? <laughs> I, like, I, <laughs> I love the explanation because it's like – because I'm more aware of what's going on, it sounds like a grassy knoll third shooter conspiracy theory. <laughs> 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 so wait, only is it, because, is it back and to the left? Yeah, exactly. Only only because of how vague it is in the show. Like again, like because we've been so balls deep in this fucking universe, like I read all nine books for the second time, you know, in the last six months leading up to this. Not even because we were gonna do a show. And then I've like reread a bunch of stuff. And so I started rereading four in preparation for this. And I just got like a third of the way into it. I was like, I just can't fucking read anymore about this goddamn universe for a while. So I, I stopped I stopped reading before refreshing my memory about a lot of this, but um I based on my vague memory, um no Holden doesn't set it off by blowing it up because none of that shooting a cruise missile thing happens. It, the shooting the cruise missile thing is like a shortcut to get to the um, kind of bit where the moon heats up and everything's going to start blowing up. I don't quite remember how it goes down in the book, but I'm pretty sure that it's what you were saying, Benny, which is like they go in and, you know, Holden helps him flip the switch by pulling the tree branch out of the way. And that's what's setting something in motion at that point. And it just kind of all cascades from there. Right. Okay. All right. What? Why? Why did... Holden fire the missile. Was that related to like the techno locust things that were attacking everybody? Yeah, no, like the the thing that's missing is like the a robot, like I from memory, like there are these like sleek white interesting kind of like robots. Kind of like the Uba robot from the Star Wars, you know? It's like these weird plasticky <laughs> sleek white robot Ubas. And so well, you're dead, but then oh, the Uba, yes, yeah, did. you're dead for mentioning Star Wars, and then but the Uba robot resurrected you. Yeah, so the giant Uba. <laughs> the giant Uba robots. Um, Uba. They. Inc- <laughs> I'm gonna annoy him with this for like a minute. Go that, ahead. That's fine. They. <laughs> it's fine. They encounter a giant Uba robot, and Uba. it freaks Holden out. I don't think he blows it up, and then later on. Miller inhabits an Uber robot, like a giant robot, and Holden actually like rides on the back of it to the other side of the planet with LV, and then they go into the depths. And so it's like a kind of a whole different thing. Oh, weird. But it ends up in the same place, which is wow. LV and Holden in the room with the the switch thing. So like, as many people have said with the show, it it's quite different from the books, but it almost always ends up in the same place. And so same, same. 
So like the shooting the rocket thing doesn't really happen to my recollection, but it's close enough where it doesn't really matter. The only thing that kind of sucks is that it's so vague and they're kind of skipping around in such a weird way that you can end up on a grassy knoll fucking making assumptions because of how vague they're being, you know? So you can kind of go both ways with how frustrating it is with the way that they're just kind of making things up on their own. Mm. Yes, I see where why you're saying that now, yeah. Just a, I, I, I really enjoyed seeing the Rossi firing fucking gatling guns and missiles in atmosphere. It was yeah. fucking neat. <laughs> yeah, it was. I agree. It was super cool how they were using the ship as like kind of a a remote sort of weapon slash like, you know, battle battle tower. Yeah. It was neat. Yeah, it was cool to see it landed like, you know, like on its uh on its main engine like, you know, like a like a rocket mm. ship for lack of a better term. It was kind of cool. No, it, I I actually love like just kind of jumping back to like the physics and the tech of this show which are really really well thought out. I love how all of the ships when they do any kind of terrestrial descent, it's on the main engine like backwards. Like I always like, wow, that's so cool, man. And then when they get once they break into the atmosphere, they switch to thrusters. Yeah. You know, very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. I was getting, uh, I was having little thoughts about uh, the council's rocket ship from uh, the Hyperion Cantus. Oh, Hyperion. Yeah, totally. Oh, shit. Totally, man. Yes. Like, yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah. I, um, for whatever reason, like, you guys might be the same, but when I read books, a lot of the time, like, I just don't take the time to, like, for example, fucking study the stupid ass sci-fi names and so a lot of the times i like mispronounce the names in my head and it's just the way that i know the name you know um similarly with this i i had always imagined the rossi landing like on its side so seeing it come down like you're talking about i was just kind of like wait what that's not how it was in my brain you know but it's still pretty fucking cool but doesn't mean that it's supposed to land on its side, but you know, just sometimes you just imagine it a certain way that when it goes another way, it's like, it like broke my brain. It didn't even bother me. I was just like super confused. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, but it was cool. Speaking of, speaking of words that keep popping up in books that you pronounce, fucking Iowa. <laughs> Dude, say Iowa <laughs> again. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a funny, a funny little segue because, um, Julie Mao's ship, the racing ship. I forget the name of the ship. Um, you guys probably remember it, but I don't. Th- it's like a class of ship, and so in the book, uh, when it's talking about the ship, it's like it's a racing pinnacle. So you're just like, oh, okay, a pinnacle is the 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 category of racing ship, and the whatever the name of the ship is is the name of the ship. But I saw this thread on Reddit, and it was like what the fuck do they keep saying about this ship in the audiobook? And it turns out it wasn't Pinnacle at all. It's Pinace. And it sounds like they're saying penis over and over in the audiobook. And everyone was getting <laughs> confused about it. And they're like, why the fuck do they keep calling your ship a penis? And it's like a old French <laughs> sailing word that means like fast racing ship or some shit. I just thought it was really funny. Oh, wow. Okay. So it never dawned on me, and I was like, what do you mean? It's a pinnacle. And then, like, everyone in the comments said the same thing, and it turns out, there's no L, dude. It just looks like a penis. Funny. Anyways. I've I've done that before, but I usually catch myself somewhere, and then it's doubly annoying because I get hung up on that word every time I read it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've, like, I've been, had the same kind of confusion, like, with the penis, pinnacle thing. Like, I've done that before, and then be like, wait a minute, there's no L in that? What the yeah. fuck? Yeah. Dude. <laughs> 
And then the read the whole rest of the book. I like every time I see that word, I'm like, ah, <laughs> it catches me. So what else do we have really that we haven't covered? We have we we uh... we kind of fumbled all over Lucia. I'm really curious your guys' thoughts on the Lucia daughter fucking boyfriend thing. I don't know. I can't stop thinking about what you. Okay, here's my response without even letting you finish. I liked Felsia. I liked. You know, the whole thing. I mean, it wasn't nothing like earth shattering. It was like the girl, yeah, she wants to go to college. And then Naomi's like, hey, you can get a better education just being on a ship, you know? And Alex will teach you how to make lasagna and brownies, you know? It's great. <laughs> so, like, I like that. That was cool. Don't forget the frittatas, friend. And don't forget those delicious frittatas in the morning. So, when I talked to Chad the other night, he was telling me that in the books, the situation is very different. And I. I can't stop thinking about that. I really like uh, – I, I found it, like, more interesting, that dynamic, Chad. Like, right. With, with the prax and, like, all that. You know, I, I just uh, – you want to – can you just, like, shortly, quickly recap that for Ben? Yeah, let me try and not be a fuckhead about this. Um, don't be a knob. Don't be a knob. So in the show, when Prax is on Ganymede or he gets back to Ganymede – and has the Rossi crew alongside to save May. Before things go to shit, he runs into a buddy of his whose son was also taken. And it's like a one scene, five line thing. But the guy's name's Bazia, and his son is Katoa. And so there's a scene in the book where Prax is is on Ganymede, and he goes to Bazia's house. And at Bazia's house, he's basically like, I'm trying to find May. And Bazia's like, dude, Katoa's dead. We're going to leave Ganymede. This place is fucked. And Prax is like, dude, I don't believe you. May is not dead. I'm going to find May. And Bazia like violently strikes out at, at Prax and their relationship kind of, he's just like, all right, fucking, I'm out of here. See you later. I'm going to go find May. And so this dude, Bazia, is convinced that Katoa's dead and he leaves Ganymede. And so in the show... Katoa goes on to be fucking blue-faced Space Jam kid. In the book, he doesn't... They find him dead. He's just a dead kid. Um, I bring this up because Bazia and his wife, Lucia, are Dr. Lucia and Bazia in um, book four. So Lucia is the doctor in book four, and Bazia is the guy that ends up blowing up the platform, and he's the guy that ends up up on the ship, and it's kind of a flipped gender role. But it's interesting because... The whole point of the terrorist blowing up the thing character is that he's doing it because of how terrified he is of losing anyone else because he's lost his son. And so it's just kind of an interesting justification for the behavior where that kind of isn't really made clear in the show and kind of, you know, Felsey is like, Mom, why'd you fucking blow up the platform? And she's like, because I wanted to, you know, like it just doesn't really have any justification. And so it's just an interesting choice to kind of clean out all of that other stuff i get the complexity of it would have been hard to do but just to clean out all that other stuff kind of but i think it would have been more interesting if they had done it that way and it didn't seem like it was that difficult of a stretch to to make that happen you know like i I definitely understand some of the choices that they made in terms of translating it to a visual medium but this i don't like i i that, that seems way more cohesive to me too I don't know, do you do you have any reaction to that, Benny? That was a lot of info to dump on you. But. I think I think it's I think it's cool, and I think it works in the books. But I completely understand why they didn't go for it in the show because really they have enough 
motivation to blow up the platform just because the fucking belters probably don't want some earth corporation coming in and you know trying to take their their new good thing away from them yeah especially after they especially after they had to leave ganymede and and all of that so i feel like the showrunners were probably like well that's enough motivation we don't need to like go back and tie all that other shit together i think that's a good i think that's a a great point i mean that's a really cool story, but I could see why it ended up on the, you know, why it didn't make it into the show because it is complicated to, you know, they would have had to put that guy, they would have had to have included all of, I mean, it would have been cool, I guess, but, but I can see why they avoided that possibly in favor of other things. A simpler story. Yeah. Similarly, there was, um, the guy scientist on the Edward Israel is on the ground with LV the whole time. And the guy that, is on the ship is actually um, Miller's former partner who gets spiked to a wall in season one. Ah, oh, man. Oh, well, yeah, that, that dude just disappeared. Yeah. So, like... Yeah, he was cool, too. I liked him. In a, in a way, like, let's just say they had that dude in this season, and let's just say they did do all the Prax Katoa stuff in the season. Like, you could make an argument that that's, like... Really, these characters are meeting each other on the other side of the galaxy. Like, how likely is that? But in another way, like from a storytelling perspective, I kind of, I kind of like that they they're bringing certain characters back into it in the in the novels and stuff. But I I agree with you, Ben. I think that you know it's easy to ha- find the motivations without having to reinvent the wheel and bring huge arcs back into the story. Maybe it's just a justification for if you're into these shows, they're so close to the books. And the seasons align with the book numbers that you can go back and read them if you if you're really into digging into the lore and, and catch really cool threads like this that are that are missed out on you know yeah reading's cool yeah man reading is fundamental yeah you know what <laughs> I don't know I I, I really I, I agree with you Chad like I thought about that too I was like oh that would have been too like kind of convenient you know for it's like oh this is the guy from Ganymede and it's his buddy ba 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 and there's like but at the same time, like, I don't know, I just seemed a little bit more interesting than what actually happened, you know? So the Lucia arc was like kind of, kind of whatever, you know, it was like, okay, so she, you know, was part of the plot to blow up the pad and now she's on the Rossi and, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Next. Yeah. Did you feel that same way about the slugs and the green eye stuff? No, but I kind of felt like that was resolved with a big fat nothing burger too. It was like, okay, the slugs are like toxic and it's like they touch you and you die. And I was like, oh, cool. Mm. And like everybody's like eyes are, everybody's seeing green, you know? And I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. And then nothing. Just didn't really go anywhere. Slugs were still there. They burned them all off. And it's like with no explanation of where they came from. Were they part of the actual planet? Were they a mix of protomolecule interacting with the planet? Like, no idea. And and ditto with the green bacteria. And why were they both green? And why is the sky blue? Why is my name Kev? <laughs> you know? I feel like all of that stuff was just a way for them to ratchet up the tension while they were all trapped in the in the protomolecule structure, you know? It was all just all just there to like make it more of a pressure cooker, you know, and make you think that something really fucked up was gonna happen. Mm. And then nothing really did. Yeah, I I agree. And I mean, look, I said it before. I mean, I know we're sort of getting close to the end here, but th- this this season was not like I wasn't like, yo, it was like, you know, yeah, it's pushing the story along. There was definitely elements that I loved, but at the same time, it was just kind of like, well, okay, cool. What happens next? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. For me, the, the story in this season, the overarching story wasn't really the thing. It was, you know, the devil was in the details. It was like what the characters, what the characters were able to do in the story, you know, like getting to see Amos, like, you know, have the rivalry with, uh, with, um, Murtry. Murtry with Murphy. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, also getting to see him like, you know, like he helps out that kid when they're all trapped in the protomolecule structure. So like you get to see, you know, it's and whatever. Those are just off the top of my head examples pertaining to Amos. But like it's that kind of stuff that happens within the story that I enjoyed. Yeah. It's the little character developments and, the, you know, the little things that they get to do that you get to see those characters do. And then the climax for, for Amos of having to go through way at the end there, too, was a big moment for him, I think. Having to go through what? Having to, like, go through way. Like, oh, yeah. It, it wasn't a big moment for him, but it's a big moment for the audience to see just how committed he is to, you know, the Rossi crew, for example. Like, you know, I don't think he had a huge character arc leap in the sense of choosing to, to choose the Rossi crew over way. But having him put his money where his mouth is as an audience you know, watching him just like, yeah, I'll never lie to you meant I'm going to fucking blast you. It didn't mean like feel good about what I'm about to say, you know? like Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't as if there was no, it wasn't as if he had no trepidation about it, you know? So that was, it was interesting to see a, a sort of a struggle and a sort of an aftermath. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, you know, it clearly motivated him to want to fuck up Murtry even more. That was, yeah. Especially when Murtry punches him on the ship at the end and he just turns with a bloody smile. Like, that was the best. Yeah. And he says, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, so great. I I, I, we're not going to get to see that play out, but I wish I could be a fly on the wall for that one. Right. Yeah. I, again, I can't remember how it goes down, which is kind of, I kind of like that I can't remember it. The um, I really liked that they took the time to have Amos and Holden fall in love in this season. Like, it really, like, <laughs> cemented their you know, Batman and Robin like relationship. The whole like Holden grabbing him and being like, I can't lose you, you know? And yes, I did bring up Batman to fuck with you. Fucking Batman reference. God damn you. Yeah, exactly. What a what a dick. Why do you hate Ben? Nah. I like Batman a lot. <laughs> it's not that he hates me, it's that he just fucking no. loves Batman. Yeah, I just love Batman. And Amos. That's it. I look, Chad, I agree with what you're saying, and I, I, I do dig I, – I love the relationship with the crew of the Rocinante, wh- whoever we're talking about. Like, the relationships between all of them are fantastic. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. This, and this season sort of seems to deepen and cement that even further. Yeah. Which is nice. Over a nice, tasty za. <laughs> Not a whole lot of Alex action in this one. No. I did like the – it didn't really spend a lot of time with him, but I, I really enjoyed the tension of – the decaying orbit and them figuring out to use the railgun as propulsion mechanism. Like, I don't think it really played overly well in the show, but it's a super awesome tension sequence. Yes. In the story. That was very, very cool. Yeah. I like that a lot too. I love that they keep, you know, like Alex is like clearly sort of the crew mother. Yeah. And most of his inclusion seems to go back and forth between him in that role and him just being a super badass pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, Making people feel better with lasagna and frittatas and brownies. Yeah. He's got like Maverick Top Gun meets Mrs. Doubtfire thing going on. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God, dude. Wow. That is sick. <laughs> I love Alex. Help is on the way here. <laughs> I think Alex is one of my favorites, man, for sure. 
Cass Anvar really, really helps me in that regard too. I agree. And I mean, we talked about, I mean, we look, we've made, <clears throat> excuse me, we've made a lot of fun of him, the lasagna thing <laughs> the last two episodes, <laughs> but he's awesome. I mean, yeah. nobody's taken that away from him. We talked about him at length in the season one and two episodes. So, you know. Yeah. I, I think we've sort of mined the depths of season four. I just wanted to, um, I actually have a nugget Ooh. this week. Um, I know, right? It's exciting. So I wanted to jump back to season three because I did look at my notes and I did remember some other stuff. And I don't want to go into a whole thing about season three, but I, I want to say there was another really great moment right before Amos greased the scientist when they found Prax's daughter. Yeah. And that whole scene is so good. And Prax kneels down on it, on one knee to his daughter's eye level and he says, this is Amos. He's my best friend in the whole world. And I want you to go with him for a minute. And like Amos's, you know, really West Chatham's subtle reaction to that was just so perfect. Mm. It was such a great scene. And I'm pissed that we, last week was such a bunch of verbal vomit, you know, <laughs> that we, we didn't get a lot of, so we didn't talk about a lot of great moments that happened in season three, because there were definitely way more than season four. Yeah. Like this, like this one that I'm describing, like it was just, it was so touching and so perfect. And like Amos's reaction was like surprise and being touched that this man thought of him this way, you know, and this is somebody that's like a quasi sociopath. So I just thought it was really, really great and really well done. That's it. Yeah, totally. And similar to the uh, Ashford drummer slash Ashford death, uh, I don't believe any of that best friend stuff is in the book so again kudos to the writers for for a cool mm. touching moment yeah absolutely really really cool anyway that's it we can go now you got any nuggets there ben rooney uh, i'm not the nugget guy that's true i've got a nugget i'll i'm not, I'm not the nugget you're, guy you're the nugget guy i'll uh, round out the two nugget rule with um Kind of a nugget, kind of a topic we haven't touched on yet, which is the Belter Creole. We I don't think we touched talked about it too much, if at all. We did, actually, yeah. We talked about it a yeah. little bit. Some. But my nugget was kinda like there was a cool video that um the creator of the Creole for TV had on YouTube. I think it was like a um it's like the dude in a bar, just like everyone's sitting around drinking beers and someone like recorded with his yes. with their phone. Did you guys see that one? I put it in the show notes. Yeah, I we we yeah, we just watched it. We talked about it when we did the season one show. Yeah, totally. That was an awesome video. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I can't I can't I couldn't remember that if we talked about it or not. But um he mentions Haitian Creole in as one of the languages that was used to kind of like inform the language of, of Belter Creole. And um it just so happens that I that I speak a bit of it because I spent some time there. And one of the interesting things about Haitian Creole is that it was um, so Haiti was a former slave colony to the French, and um, these slaves were being brought over to Haiti and were not allowed to speak their languages, and so they developed a patois of French to be able to speak a language that the slave masters didn't understand. And so just like Jamaica, yes. Exactly. And so I feel like that's a really interesting layer to the Belter Creole where like it almost certainly was a patois that developed out of making sure that the earther dickheads that they felt were oppressors wouldn't be able to understand them. And I really like that uh that element to that faction. So it was just a a little nugget out there. That's interesting. 
I I had assumed that because of the sound of it, it, it was more like you know like a bad game of telephone as like the generations right like you know went on and were more separate from from uh, Earth and 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 Mars that like the way words are pronounced spelled all that stuff just kind of like you know the, the, yeah yeah like people hear like things phonetically or whatever and it, you know down the line it, it gets changed a little bit and changed a little bit until it becomes what it is that's that's what i always thought but and that's definitely that as well as yeah. maybe another layer yeah i like it but them's my nuggets or that's my my singular nugget no that was a kill that was a killer nugget man I, that's as, as a nugget should be very well done um as a nugget connoisseur nugget connoisseur rating yeah I'll go first, man. I'm gonna give this. Uh, hmm, this is tough. I, hmm. I, I'm, I'm wanting to be more generous and say B minus, but my heart's really on a C plus. You know, and and I think it's. I don't know. I, I guess I'll say B minus. No, stick it with was, C, man. That's fair. Okay, fine, fine. C plus. It was. It was good. Great story elements. I know this is just pushing us along to the next thing. So I don't know. It was a little, definitely a little weird having everybody on the planet, you know. But I thought the locations were cool. It definitely made it look alien esque, mm. you know. I don't know. I wasn't like wowed by it, but it was, you know, I was into it for sure. So if I remember correctly, you, seasons one and two were like a B plus for you, and then season three was an A, and then this is a C plus ish. Is that right? Yeah, seasons one and two were like a B plus or an A as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Three was an A. Yeah. Um. Yeah, for me, I I think this is the best of the bunch for the show for sure. Um, it's yeah, it's funny. It's my least favorite book and my most favorite show season. So it's it seems like all of my opinions are like completely inverse to your guys' views and and the <laughs> they yeah. are. And la- you gave you gave three a D, which I was blown away by. I think Ben was too. And it's like so much better than this season. Yeah. So it's just straight up. It's similar to my comment about like the Bazia Katoa thread being pulled out of this season. So like, I definitely think Ben's correct in the whole, like they had enough motivation. They didn't need that thread, but because the, my first exposure to this universe was in the books, like I, I'm always going to have the books, you know, holding that primary place. Like that's my frame of reference. So the book three was way better than the season three. And so that's why season three was a D it's got nothing to do with the season in terms of how it is as, as television. But um, yeah, for this one, for me, like I gave season one and two a C, season three a D, and I'll give this one a B. And I'm looking forward to season five. I'm going to marry you there, Chad. Um, this one's a B for sure. Uh, the fact that it seems like, you know, kind of a filler, like a giant filler episode and it doesn't have as grand of a scale of everything is the only thing that really detracts from the from the rating. Everything else was really good. Um, you know, the story was not the best thing, but the character development and character interaction and all that stuff was terrific. For the, for the, yeah, f- just to throw this out there, I know I've kind of said it many, many a time, but the way that this season ends, you can read books one to four and have zero chance of spoiling any of the future stuff. So if you are interested and are hankering for more expanse and can't wait for the next thing, like I would super highly recommend circling back and maybe reading the books as a refresher before season five comes out. Uh, you won't regret it, but um, yeah, I can't, I can't recommend them enough. Yeah. Bratna. Yeah. Bratna. So algorithm. I love this part of the show. 
What are we talking about next? It's a great question. Absolutely. I think we are talking absolutely about Cobra. Yep. Next week, we're talking about Cobra. I've never seen Cobra. Are you kidding me? Never seen it, bro. I'm looking forward to you reenacting the whole thing. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. You're in You're in for a delight, man. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. Sly, Flavor Flav's ex-wife. Fuck yeah. It's wonderful. Lovely. I kind of feel like Cobra is going, like, it, Cobra is going to be like Raw Deal for me, where I had never seen Raw Deal, but had seen pretty much everything else Arnie had done up until then. So in the it's, it's Sly definitely, versus Arnie yeah, thing, I, I, this is my uh, Raw Deal. Well, it's very much their, like, yeah. this movie, I would parallel. say, is, yeah, it is, right, Ben? I mean, it's like mm-hmm. this. the production values are about the same. I would say that this movie, well, it's tough, but probably has better actors Nice. And Raw Deal, I mean, they did have Darren McGavin, which, like, blew my mind. But... Shooter McGavin's great. Yeah, Shooter McGavin <laughs> was great. Shooter McGavin is Darren McGavin's son. <laughs> but they... they <laughs> Wrap your head around that. So, yeah, Cobra is definitely the equivalent of Raw Deal. Nice. Looking forward to it. And you'll, you'll appreciate that it's even based on a crappy book. And we'll get into that and more next week on the podcast, folks. So tune in for that. Can, can you please then, be the person that says, like, but the book instead of me this, on this next one? Oh, I will. Um, but the book. <laughs> but the book. But the book. Anyway, folks, thanks for joining us. Tune in next week when we talk about the uh, titular 80s classic Cobra with Sylvester Stallone. And until then, this is Kevin saying so long. See ya. Laters. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode, folks. Next week, we're going to be talking about the 80s titular classic, Cobra, starring Sylvester Stallone. So stay tuned for that. You can find the show notes for today's episode in your podcast app of choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 47. You can shoot us questions using the Twitter hashtag AskEBD. You can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. Chad is at ChadNormal on Twitter. Ben is at Jarhigo on Twitter. And now I'd like to take a minute and thank you so much for tuning into the show. It means loads to me and the boys. And if you'd like to support the show, there are a couple of great ways you can do it. First, obviously, is by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast nuggets. Secondly, you can tell somebody to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful and incredibly important and incredibly effective. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. We'll see you next time. 